today's episode of the Ryan Rosillo Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro. The real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service. You can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you. State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service. State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Okay, let's do this. I'm fired up Friday. What's good? All right. Um, Brady Quinn's going to join us from Fox. He's done some NFL games, but we're going to do a lot of college football. I also want to talk to him about his career, uh, where it went wrong, kind of the Tebow stuff, because he was on that Denver team while all that Tebow stuff took off and then kind of the end of it. So let's, uh, let's hang out with Brady Quinn for a while. We'll do a life advice at the very end. Let me start with Russell Westbrook. Okay, Russell Westbrook asked for a trade this week. Um, Teams have talked about trading for Russell Westbrook for a long time because in the very beginning, it was not working out. He was never a Daryl Morey guy. Daryl Morey would never trade for Russell Westbrook on its own, but Harden wanted Russell Westbrook, which meant Fertitta, the owner of the Rockets, wanted Westbrook, and apparently Fertitta's son also was big on this deal because, hey, we're just going to put these guys together that were both MVPs and they wanted Chris Paul out of there. Paul was more than happy to not play with James Harden anymore. So that's where we had it. And I remember when I brought up Westbrook first being mentioned by other teams, like, yeah, I think he might actually be available. And I brought it up that got turned into a bunch of different things. And of course, everybody said that I was wrong about it. Um, This is different though. So I'm not even claiming a W on it because it's different because this is Westbrook actually asking out and saying he wants out. So I would ask this, what does Russell Westbrook want? Is it really about the culture? Is it not being consulted on the Steven Silas hiring? Is it not being consulted on the Daryl Morey thing? I mean, Daryl Morey's been close to leaving for a year now, although he did want to spend time with his family. I guess he got that out of the way because then he signed with the Sixers. Um, By the way, Daryl, I'm disappointed in Daryl Morey. I would think Daryl Morey would have a better reason to resign. We knew he was resigning because then ultimately he was going to have a much better opportunity with Philadelphia and better ownership, more stability. Um. But I would expect Daryl, if he is the architect of some of the most advanced ways of looking at basketball rosters, that he would have come up with something a little better than, I need to spend more time with my family. I would have loved to have said, I'm starting an architecture firm in Yemen, and that's where I'm going to be spending a lot of my time coming up. Just say something. If I ever had the chance to do that, and then was hopefully never having to be forced out, or maybe I'd resign at my own accord because I was so successful in other things. I'm never going to say, well, I don't have a family to spend time with, but I would just, I would make up something ridiculous. I'm working on 
a book about the evolution of igloos, volumes one through seven. I'm like, what? What the fuck did he say? So, Westbrook, 32 years old, maybe the best athletes that ever played this game. His effort is everything I want in a player, and yet his approach is nothing I would want in a player. If you trade for Russell Westbrook right now at this point with 41.3, 44.2, $47 million, that's a player option in 2023, excuse me, 2223, probably going to go ahead and pick that one up. If you trade for those numbers at his age and his approach to the game, you should then immediately fire yourself. Trading for Westbrook at this stage is a fireable offense. And again, I go back to, is it that Westbrook doesn't like the culture, doesn't, wasn't consulted, wasn't this or that? Or is he like, you know what I liked? I liked being in charge of everything. I like being in charge of every possession. I like the bigs having to defer to me to let me get all the rebounds. I like to have historic usage rates. That kind of bumps up good numbers into absurd numbers that got me an MVP because the MVP was really more about him being embraced by Oklahoma City and him staying when Durant left. We all kind of fell for that story. Some did not and voted for other people for MVP. I want to be able to dictate when media availability is. I want to be able to shut out media. I want to be able to take every shot. I want to tell people what the temperature should be in the locker room. I want to be in charge because I'm not that in Houston. My guess would be that's more what he's about than it is I wasn't consulted enough. Uh, because what does that mean? Like you have to, you should consult your stars, but you can't consult them so much that it's every single deal. Because when you do ask people's opinions and then you still make a decision based on what you want to do, then the person's like, well, I told you what I wanted. You didn't listen to me. It's like, I could not ask you or I could not agree with you. So you're kind of screwed no matter what you do when you're in charge on that one. But I think Westbrook wants what he had in Oklahoma City. I, I think that's who he is. And if you're Orlando, I think it's a no from Orlando. I'll tell you guys when I feel stronger about something, I feel pretty good on that. The Knicks are linked to it all the time. I don't know if that's what Leon Rose and those guys came in to do. You know, they've put together very specific staff. And, you know, a lot of that staff is with relationships. It's about relationships to other players that are on other teams right now that that people are not even whispering. I mean, people just been kind of talking about like the Knicks are looking at you know, having space and going after younger players. And that wouldn't really be Westbrook. But I do think any of the teams that are talking about Westbrook, I get it. Like you sit in the room and go, hey, we're really stale. We've had no stars here. And even if Westbrook at 32 is probably not heading in the right direction, you could sell jerseys. Kids would be excited. Again, there's no fans. So maybe now is the time to not do something like this. So it's not the excitement as far as attendance. But there's just, hey, if your franchise has lacked juice for a long time, then I can understand why you would at least kick the tires on the Westbrook thing. And then once you examine it and talk about it, these are all temporary short-term things. These are not things that you should be making these kinds of decisions with when you're paying them $47 million in two years from now. So, you know, the bulls were brought up. I mean, somebody will probably, I know as bad as the contract is, we've been told, we've shown uh, too many times. This league has told us too many times. You know what? You guys all said that this, this deal was unmovable. Well, we moved it again. So I'm not going to make that mistake. Um, but Charlotte has been brought up. And if it ends up being Charlotte, that's the one where I go, yeah, okay. You know, you got to pay 90% of the salary. Anyway, you got to pay somebody. There's no stars on that team right now. No one that even projects to be like, hey, maybe this guy should make an all-star team. I'm not even talking about perennial all-star team. I'm talking about can we put him as the seventh guy that was potentially snubbed to get clicks on an article because I just I don't enjoy snub articles. 
a bunch of good players. Some don't make it. Move on. But yeah, Charlotte's Charlotte's the one. Like, uh, I don't, and I don't know if it's a Jordan thing with the Westbrook Jordan brand that feels a little collegey, but it'll be brought up by somebody. Uh, maybe I just brought it up, but uh, yeah, I, there's a lot of these guys. I'd love to know, like, hey, James Harden, what do you actually want? Well, he wants to stay apparently, even though. He's friends with Westbrook. He wanted him there, and now Westbrook already wants out. I think Westbrook wants to be Oklahoma City Westbrook more than he just wants to be out of Houston specifically. Brady Quinn will join us in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Cintas. In sports, you're always thinking of that next play. It's the same with business. Cintas has the products, people, and solutions that help keep you a step ahead. And your Cintas MVPs are the dedicated service reps who help make sure your team has what you need when you need it. They really got you covered. Cintas has workwear and apparel for almost any job imaginable. They have styles that are durable, comfortable, and great looking. And they'll deliver fresh uniforms back to your business every week. They'll deliver floor mats and restroom products and stock your essential cleaning supplies. They provide first aid supplies, safety training, and life-saving AED defibrillators. And then they'll even test and inspect your fire extinguishers, fire protection systems, and emergency exit lights. Visit Cintas.com and get ready for the workday. Brady Quinn joins us now. Fox Sports, uh, part of my favorite show right now for college football, the big kickoff show, new kickoff that leads into all their coverage. It's it's with Liner, who's been on, Reggie. Obviously, Urban's been terrific on the show, and Rob Stone, neighbor. And the whole reason to bring it up is Brady is asking me about where I'm from, and you're blown away by the vineyard thing. So when you hear Martha's Vineyard, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. It freaks everybody out. Um, everybody thinks like I'm just doing this as a hobby because I'm from Martha's Vineyard, but go ahead. What Your first instincts were what? My first instinct was I've I've never heard or met someone who's actually from Martha's Vineyard. Uh, I, I don't know. I was picturing like this very scenic esque, um, you know, just I don't even know New England landscape on the water. Uh, I, I'm not like, what do you do there? I asked you, is there a high school there? Is there actually there is a high school? It's so much bigger than people realize. First of all, I think it's when I was there, and then it, it started to creep up again, and then it turned. But it's it's six towns. Um, it's much oh, so bigger than you like think. All of that yeah, area. yeah. So I think it's twenty-seven by thirty miles. There's twelve to fourteen thousand year-round residents. I could be off on that number. There were a hundred kids in my graduating class in high school. It's so much bigger than people think it is. And the biggest thing that it's the other I assumptions mean, that every one of us just have our own estates and the Kennedys and everybody's stopping by. And it's a self-sustaining community. I mean, there's somebody that has to do the septic. There's somebody that works at Cumberland Farms. There's somebody that does your electric. There's somebody that's a surveyor. You know, there's, believe it or not, there's parts of the island. I mean, look, every piece of property there has, there's there's no like entry level thing property wise, which is terrible for some of these long vineyard generations because they just can't afford to stay there and it starts to price them out more and more. But it's a little more, well, actually, excuse me. It's way more blue collar year round than people could ever understand. It's, it's, so. I kind of figured that part. Like part of yeah. me initially when it hit me, I was like, wow, that's a first. I've never met anyone who's actually from Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. I think my sister and brother-in-law just went there for like a little quick getaway vacation. They just, this is maybe like a month ago. 
they said it was awesome. My, my sister's all into that. I don't know how she drug AJ into that. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I mean, and by the way, thank you for explaining that someone has to do the sewage. Like I, I do read that everybody poops to my daughters. I'm trying to get my two year old Tegan to learn how to poop you know, like in an actual toilet. You know, I, I would imagine. But, yeah. I imagine that's what yeah. you're talking about. The next, <laughs> next step for that. Well, uh, you're like, Oh yeah. Someone has to do the sewage. Obviously. I mean, I didn't think you guys just, you know, throw it out into the ocean there in Martha's Vineyard. No, I mean. look, look, here's, here's another thing. Like the parties in high school, it was a tough place to go to high school. I'll, I'll admit. And it was tougher for me because I was moving in there at, at, like, I think it was a month into my sophomore year and the sports part of it, I, you know, sports are a big part of everything. It was like, I was as good as you guys doing stuff, but I, the sports had always worked out. And then when I got there, it wasn't working out. I'm like, wait, this is weird. So it was really, it was a really weird, it was a very great lesson for me because I was like a loser all of a sudden for a couple of years. So it gave me a better perspective on like what was important and what it was. So like they have good kid. sports programs there. Um, yeah. The football team, again, it's very small. It's a very small level thing. But back when I was there, they they never lost games. They The huh. Nantucket rivalry, this is crazy, but and you think of these two islands off the coast of Massachusetts, back when I was there, I mean, it was the biggest thing ever. They did documentaries on it where basically one island that was the away team would shut down and everybody would get on the boat and then go to Nantucket and watch the game. And then, you know, same thing would happen the next year where Nantucket would come over. When we played basketball, we would take a plane over. So we'd be high school kids getting on a plane, landing in Nantucket, and that's cops, badass. Yeah. Cops would give you the finger. Like there was an actual, you know, look, our coach that we had wasn't very good. And he started trying to do like a rah, rah. You got to beat Nantucket. You got to beat Nantucket. And everybody had sort of checked out on the coach, but football, it worked. I mean, football, that stuff was serious. And then we were on Nantucket. I don't know how many years after we graduated high school, maybe a couple. And a friend of ours had a band and they were playing at the Muse on Nantucket. I've always thought Nantucket was more fun because I think being from the vineyard, there's more going on and more people you're connected to Nantucket. You could just go have a blast for a couple of days and it's not where you're from. So it's just different. But we, there was a fight at that house we rented because one of the guys was a football player and it was this Nantucket vineyard thing popped. I didn't play football, so I didn't really care, but these guys started fighting. We're like, what the hell was that about? Be like, Oh, he's a Nantucket guy. It was hilarious. <laughs> This is amazing. There are the, turf rules in Martha's Vineyard yeah. and Nantucket. Uh, that, that's unbelievable. Can I ask you this last one? Yeah. Martha Stewart. Is Martha Stewart ever seen just you know gallivanting around in Martha's Vineyard? Because I, I, I just I feel like when I was young, I used to be like, oh, yeah, like Martha Stewart basically owns Martha's Vineyard. I don't think there's any connection. I, Kyle, I don't know if we get <laughs> IT on that. She may have a house out there. I mean, that's kind of how those 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 towns roll. You know, yeah. once the Clintons came out, it took it to another level. And Obama was there all the time. And Obama was there up until recently still playing golf at this country club that my brother works at, which is this exclusive vineyard country club that's so it's you don't even know where it is. Like you'll drive past really? it and not even realize that it's there. I mean, people that know know that where it is. It's not like it's supposed to be a secret, but they don't do anything where it's like some advertising. But I'll I'll leave people with this because we get it all the time. Uh, Martha's Vineyard is one of the most diverse areas, especially year round. Um, huh. and it, it's more diverse than you realize in high school because it was one of the first, I believe it may have been, and some people can argue this, but one of the first, um, luxury leisure vacation places where blacks could buy property and it wasn't some huge problem. And whenever I'll talk with somebody who's in sports or, you know, some other kind of industry, they're like, oh yeah, man, July, and I would bartend. And where I would bartend, it would there wouldn't be any white guys. So it was a much more diverse area too, 
than people would think when they see, you know, these old whaling houses and all these different things. It's it's just different. It's it's a lot different than the rep, but I'm not going to try to tell you that it was this it wasn't rough. It wasn't like a tough place to grow up or anything like that. I'm just saying that it wasn't right. Not every kid in high school was going back to their yacht and cottage that was off of, you know, a, a acreage spot on the on the water. So there you go. Right. That reminds me of uh, Amelia Island. I think there's probably it's similar history in, re- in regards to just the, the culture, the diversity uh, kind of early on, just the way the state of Florida and that particular landmass was like taken over between like the Spanish to the U.S. and Native Americans, all this stuff. But anyway, Amelia Island's got some kind of history like that as well. Yeah. I mean, we had the Wampanoags, too, a Native American tribe that was it was, you know, of course, hey, you can have the area that's the furthest away from everything and the coldest. And then it's actually, I think in most people's opinion, the most beautiful part of the entire Island. So I think Martha's Vineyard is always more scenic. Um, I don't even think it's comparable scenic wise to Nantucket, but the restaurants fun, all that stuff. Nantucket has it all over Martha's Vineyard and a shout out to uh, our man, Rocky, the chicken box. If I ever go, I'm hitting you up and and I, you got to give me some recommendations because I don't know when I'll be able to go. I've got three little girls all below the age of four, but at some point, I'm sure my wife and I will be able to get away at some point. Yeah. Vineyard's probably better for the family stuff. I, I really have always thought. Oh, that. really? But if, okay. if it was just you and the wife for a weekend, I would say go to Nantucket. But okay, let's oh, talk some football. Right. Let's talk some football, man. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up about this because, okay, as the ND guy on the set, and I've, I've used this example before. It's the Ohio State theory. I'll make it quick for the listeners that have heard me say it too many times. But when Ohio State loses the back-to-back title games, then it becomes Ohio State. And you're like, oh, really? We're supposed to feel bad. We win the Big Ten. We beat Michigan every year. We play for a national title. We lose two. And now we're we're the jerks. And I believe that happens in Notre Dame. I think there's more anti-Notre Dame stuff historically than there is any of the other ones. So here we are with a team that looks great. They beat number one Clemson. Um, they've been a really good team under Brian Kelly. I think it's the most talent that they've had really steadily since Lou Holtz. And I would even include some of those Charlie Weiss teams that you had there. I think Kelly continues to put out huge talent. But there's, as the ND guy, do you feel like there's all this resistance to it, both historically and because of the most recent playoff performance? Yeah, I think that's that's part of it. You know, I think the the history, them, you know, not wanting to join a conference and whether you want to go. I don't back scare, to I don't history, know why anybody cares about that. I don't know I, why anyone cares. I, I don't either. And, and honestly, I was so uh, ignorant to just like the the appreciation for being a part of conference, but also the appreciation for being an independent. Like I, I go to all these like conference media days and, and now like professionally as a broadcaster. And I remember being like, well, this kind of would have been cool, like to come to as a player, especially like for someone who, you know, started as a freshman. I played in every single game of my career. Like it would have been neat to be kind of acknowledged like that, um, at least within your own conference and at least annually and just gotten to know other players there as well. Like when you were at Notre Dame, like, yeah, there's a there's a national attention or focus, but you don't have those sorts of events. I mean, yes, every single week you've got a press conference, you've got a huge media contingent that's out there, but you don't really you know, you don't really get to know anyone else within your, you know, quote unquote schedule or conference. Um, and so that was kind of like one of those neat things that you kind of miss out on being an independent. You don't have like that appreciation for like, Hey, I was a part of the big 10. So when it comes to bowl season, I'm rooting for the big 10 teams. I don't care if it's Michigan. I still want them to beat, you know, whoever, but except when we play them, um, and there's a little bit of that that you miss out on. So I, I've never really understood the resentment for Notre Dame because they've chosen to go this independent path. Uh, because there's history there with the Big Ten and why they haven't joined or why they didn't join. You know, this year they, they've had a quasi-join for other sports. Sure. This year it worked out where they joined the ACC for this year, and then they'll go back to what they've been doing. But they've got, you know, the rights deal with NBC. That's a good thing for them. 
What a lot of people don't know, Ryan, is they're actually leaving money on the table by not joining a conference. Like everyone thinks like, oh, they're getting paid so much by NBC. Back in the day, you're right. The NBC thing was great for them, but this is never brought up. So not to interrupt you, but it's been a shift in what that deal's meant for them. It's been a shift because of how much money now is coming in through these conferences that it kicks out to all these schools. And yes, Notre Dame receives a portion of it, but you combine that and what they make from NBC, and it's still not going to equate to what like the SEC, Big Ten, or ACC makes as a full-time member of those conferences. The importance or the value of the NBC deal and really the independent schedule is when you can play in L.A., Chicago, in New York, right? Like They've done that before. In one year, you can draw up so much interest and so much fundraising from your alumni base, and and and, and there's power to that, right? There, there's and, and the way Notre Dame does it, as far as you know, networking and fundraising is second to none, in my opinion. Um, and and so I just think there's there's this there's this component that like you you could probably put a dollar value on somehow, and I'm sure Notre Dame can measure it, but like we don't see it quite as much. And I think for that reason, a lot of people look at it as I don't know elitist or however they view the, the the program, but we've got these historical rivalries that like we'd probably have to give up in essence, if we were going to join a conference full time. And I don't think they want to do that either for the tradition, the history of what Notre Dame is, but um, it, it's been hard this year, I think to convince, you know, Reggie, for example, that, that, you know, they're legit or other people that I'm around because, you know, honestly, some people just kind of don't watch them. And, and that's part of it. Like they're more dialed into whatever else they're more dialed into, but, as you said, I mean, and I'll admit it, this is our class is really talented at Notre Dame, um, you know, but but we didn't necessarily hit as many classes like that if you want to measure going to the NFL. But they, they, they know their identity. They know their identity. They can get any offensive lineman in the country, any tight end in the country. Why? Because they know those guys have succeeded and performed the highest level. You know, you see this stud. There's this kid named Kyle Hamilton. There's a sophomore now. He's going to leave after next year. He's that good of a player. The He'll safety? The safety, Cal. Yeah, he's be, he's filthy, he's a stud. man. Yeah, and, but but so how, so how does that work? Well, Harrison Smith signed a huge deal in the NFL, right? So when you see other guys move on from Notre Dame and do that, it makes it easy to recruit, and then it becomes like you don't even really have to. Like offensive linemen should be drooling when they get that offer from Notre Dame because they know they're going to be a part of a group that runs the football, and they actually get to prepare for what they're going to be asked to do at the NFL level. Not all these schools are doing that right now. Michael Mayer, that tight end they have, that's a freshman. He's gone after, you know, in two more years. So, you know, when that starts to happen, it snowballs. And when you know your identity, you recruit to it, you play to it, and you, and you can beat any team in the country when you play, when you play really, you know, really, you know, sound executed football. Who's better, you or Ian Book? <laughs> well, here's what any quarterback would tell you, all right? You could say me or any quarterback, and that quarterback's always going to tell you them. Because you got to have confidence, man. you got to have confidence. And and I think one, we're two completely different players. You know, I think when you look at how Ian plays, uh, his mobility, his ability to extend plays and running all that, he's a better athlete than I ever was. And he, that kid is tough. I mean, he is tough as nails. The way he he will carry the football at times and the hits he'll take and get back up from it. So um, I've got a lot of respect for him the way and the way he's played the game. And by the way, also just the way he's handled a lot of the the talk on the outside, people not believing in him. I thought this past week's game versus Clemson was one of those examples of like. How about them apples? You know, yeah. like kind of, kind of saying that to everyone else out there. I really, really loved the start of the game and, you know, the way he, you know, we went over it a little bit earlier this week, but I, I just came away so impressed with him. I, I think he makes, 
I think he attends some throws other college kids are afraid to make. Like I thought his accuracy in some tight spots when I go, I don't know how many other guys would even attempted those passes. And it kind of set a tone for no, him he, too. He's he's an accurate quarterback now. Yeah. He is an accurate passer. You know, I, I've got to watch him for a while. I think one of the things that people don't appreciate about what he's had to deal with is, you know, you go back a couple of years ago, Miles Boykin was the lead receiver. You go back to last year, it was Chase Claypool. You go to this year, he's got to start over every year with a new guy. You know, I was classmates with Jeff Samarja. You know, Raymond McKnight, Maurice Stolva, these guys were a year older than me. So I never really had to deal with the transition of like going through another group or another guy. Like I had those guys. It was more of dealing with a different, you know, different system. It was dealing with, you know, those guys eventually had, you know, the guys ahead of me had to move on, but it was dealing with those sorts of things or those guys mixing and getting more playing time. Um, he hasn't had that luxury. And so that, that's another thing that I think when people would second guess the passing game, it's like, well, you know, look at what they, you know, look at what they were at the end of the year last year, because he had to start over again with chase. And then this year it's the same thing and they're getting better and better as they go. Yeah. Look, the Wimbush thing was, was weird because he had put together a season in 17. We were like, okay, this guy's not getting replaced because how dynamic he was. And then we both right. kind of realized with Wimbush, it just sort of fell apart. And then book steps in and you're like, wait, no book is just, he's just steadier. And, and, and you know, obviously you feel bad for Wimbush because it just was very clear. There was just something, there was some hitch that he had. Um, but I want to spend too much more time on ND because then when you look at, uh, you know, I'm going to ask it this way. Uh, Mac Jones or Kyle Trask? Oh man. I would say Kyle Trask. I mean, if you're looking at, well, I've seen a a little bit bigger sample size watching him last year and then into this year. We saw Mac Jones last year, but, you know, yeah, barely. I I think it wasn't that much. It was like four games. So the thing I appreciate about Mac Jones' game, you kind of talked about Ian throwing some balls in tight windows. Like, Mac's not scared to put balls in certain spots either. Uh, He really is playing well this year. You're never worried about it because you just figure he's going to well, win every time. I think I think that's the hard part, right? When you've got Kadarius Tony, you've got Kyle Pitts, who may be the best tight end in the country. You know, those guys. Now Kyle Pitts is probably better than any tight end they've got on Alabama's roster, but you know, then that, that's outweighed by the fact that that Smith and and Waddle and you and you look at how good the receivers are in totality. It 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 kind of you know factors in where he doesn't have to do quite as much um, as I think Kyle Trask has to do. And Trask is a better athlete, too. I mean, we've seen him, too, have to take off and run a little bit more, be a little bit more mobile. So I just think he's had to overcome more. I don't think their offensive line at Florida is as good as what Bama's is. So I, I give him a slight edge for how he's played this year, really the past couple of years now, what we've seen. It's hard for me. I don't know if it's the same way for you. I think it all is for us collectively. Like when I look at Ohio State, the Big Ten, I go, who, who am I picking against him? And that's with respect for Indiana and what they've done for a year plus. Because you watch them more and more last year, the beginning of this year, you're like, look, that's just a tougher team or a different mindset. And Allen's done a good job with them. But I don't want to feel feel like I'm going to fall for the same thing with Florida and Alabama, where am I just sitting there going, well, it's Alabama, and I'm obviously going to pick them against Florida. I mean, how much separation, if at all, do you see between those two teams? There's a decent amount of separation. I think it Alabama is. just being consistent. You know, I think that's the one of the bigger differences for me is if you're looking at like, all right, you never know how a team's going to come out and play in a big game. I mean, I think we expect Nick Saban teams to always come out and perform, but let's just say they have a, they have that floor game, for example, and it just so happens it's in the SEC championship game versus Florida. Um, I feel like we've seen Florida play at a lower point, you know, this year or when they play bad football, it can look ugly. I don't know that we say that as much about Bama, maybe defensively. This isn't the the typical Alabama defense that we're accustomed to seeing. I don't know that they have the same type of guys up front as we're accustomed to seeing that have moved on to the NFL. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. so 
so so for that reason, I think that's more of like a little bit of your hesitation. But I, I just I think Alabama is just has a higher floor, probably a higher ceiling uh, when you see how this team's played this year. I do think like with Alabama, and you say, oh, it's not the same defensively. Um, I don't know that anybody's the same defensively anymore. And Florida, you could you could say even especially at the beginning of the season where Ole Miss moved the ball all over the place. It was kind of like my LSU thing from last year where I would see people move the football against them and some of the stats would look bad, but I'd be like, that's kind of when the game is decided. Think of back to when you were playing in college. Like, how weird is it? How different can you be week to week? Do you have a great example of just, you know, you've had these talented teams, you have the expectations, yeah, you're a favorite, but there are just so many lessons that we've learned over the years of watching this where you can't assume anything, and I do think we lose perspective and how different teams can be week to week depending on the message or what you did the previous week i think it all depends on too the type of um scheme and, and the type of you know style at least on offense right or defensive game plan that you do right like when i had charlie weiss he was an nfl style so week to week we could be drastically different i mean ryan there, there's weeks where we would have certain personnel groupings certain formations and shifts and motions all these things that you did back then that you don't see quite as much of now and then it would, it would change the next week. Next week, you know, for example, week one, I remember when Charlie first got there, we went to Pitt on the road, uh, played against, um, it was Dave Wanstad, he was the head coach. They were a top 25 ranked team. No one knew what the hell to think of us. And and I remember that game was about a couple of different players, right? This guy named Darrell Revis, not sure if you remember him at the quarterback no, I'll look spot. him up. We had to, we, we tried to work away from him. Then that guy named H.B. Blades was a linebacker, son of, um, son of Al Blades, I believe. So, um, or is it Benny Blades? And then I think I'm mixing up the Blades. There's so many of them at this point. Um, but but the whole point was we were like, all right, this is the game plan. We're essentially going to try to you know get a hat on Blades, not even worry about throwing towards Darrell Rivas' side, uh, and and we're going to try to work in some screens and some of the quick passing game. This whole elaborate offense, right? The next week we go to Michigan. The entire game we ran no huddle. We didn't huddle once. It was all eleven personnel, all three wide receiver sets. Every once in a while we'd have two tight end sets. All 11, all no huddle, entire game. And there was, a, and that was the start of the season. So, you know, we were much more multiple like that and the way we'd go about trying to attack or exploit weaknesses on defenses. Nowadays, you get a lot of times systems. And, and these teams just kind of have the system and they run it and it's about execution. It's about, you know, running certain plays that might exploit what they're doing, but not like attacking one individual guy outside of maybe throwing a go route on them a bunch of times. So it's, I think it's changed it's become less schematic and more on the part of execution. And the coach is now putting these kids in the best plays. But then, you know, compared to like us going out there and audibleing or a check with me, which was way different back then. Yeah. That year was the year you played USC in that game. Um, it was, you know, that Michigan state game, that was your first loss. So you beat Pitt who was ranked, you beat Michigan who was three in the country. Um, and then I remember watching that Michigan state game. I think I was in Vegas and I just, it was one of those games. It was back and forth and you were just like, ah, you know, and then you'd still weren't quite sure. And then I remember being back home watching the USC game. And I know you guys have already talked about this because it's a 50 year anniversary and all that kind of stuff, but like the lead up to that week, are you guys doing the fake? We we've got this, or are you doing the, we are absolutely in this game based on planning and what you saw on film? Um, yeah, I mean, that was the interesting thing is what Charlie did that week that was so unique was we watched the Arizona State game from the week before. He had our entire team come in and watch the game. And his whole thing was like, I want our offense to appreciate like how good Reggie Bush is, you know, how good this offense is led by Matt Liner. Like he, he wanted us to watch that so that we understood exactly when he talked to us about the game plan, how, 
you know, we were going to try to slow down the game. We were going to try to run the football. Even if it wasn't successful early on, we were going to, we were going to make sure we did it. Our passing game was going to be more controlled until we wanted to try to take some shots. And so, um, you know, going through the week, to be honest, like we were probably practicing and working on executing what we were about to do. It wasn't until we went into the lead at, or went into the locker room at halftime of the lead until we were like, Oh, Oh shit, this is working. So, um, you know, that, that was one of those things where like, I think we trusted Charlie. Um, but until we saw it happen, right. I think a lot of people had to see it to believe it. And, and that was one of those like kind of moments where it was like, wow, everything's kind of coming to fruition. You know, he told me earlier in that week, the, the game, the, the play I scored on to go ahead up in the game. He told me during that week, he goes, you're going to score this play to win the game. And he also said to me, though, the person who has the ball or the team that has the ball last is going to win. And so, unfortunately, both those two things ended up being true. It just meant we ended up winning the football game. Well, at least you got an extension or two out of it because that was the most expensive loss in Notre Dame history because they were like, man. And it was funny to, I mean, people can make the wise jokes about it. I guess I sort of just did then. But at that time, everybody was, everybody thought he was going to the Giants. Everybody thought he was gone. And, uh, you can understand the fear of Notre Dame going, we finally found the guy and it didn't turn out to be the guy, but it, it's just, you have to put yourself into 2005 to remember what the climate was like and how, how it just was like, okay, Notre Dame is back. They figured this thing out. And it was all because of a three point loss to number one USC. Yeah. Which was, I mean, they were one of the probably greatest college football programs in our teams of, of all time. When you look at yeah. what they did the year before and, the run that they'd been on from Carson then to Matt and just the, the way Pete Carroll built that thing up. Uh, and, and my thing with, with Charlie was, and look, I wasn't there after, you know, obviously I'd left after my second year there and we continued to get better, you know, and better at least during the t- my time with them. But, it, you know, it, we don't have, like, we didn't have a lot of the things they had now. Like they have a training table there now. They have a new indoor. They have all these other things that, you know, I, I don't know the intricacies of how that works and if that would have mattered for recruiting or mattered for their success and whatnot. But um, you know, I think, I think one of the things some coaches fall victim to is when you recruit and you make it about like, Hey, I'm going to send these guys to the NFL, you know, when, when, when that's your pitch, when you're all about like, Hey, this is the, just this, this is kind of that medium to get you to the NFL. Um, then it kind of becomes about something that's bigger than what you're actually in right now. And so if you, if you don't appreciate the process and you don't appreciate like the competition at the college level and appreciate everything that comes along with that team in that moment, um, I think a lot of times you can lose guys if your team just gets off to a bad start and you've got a bunch of guys who are already thinking about Sundays when you're playing on Saturday. Yeah, no, that, make, that makes sense. It's just with so many kids when they come in, that's all they're thinking about. Like my, my favorite, when I went to Georgia that one time and I was talking to the strength guy, I go, how many guys think they're making the pros? He was like, maybe three don't. I was like, 3%? He's like, no, like three kids out of 100 that actually get jerseys and stuff. Like every one of those guys and the guys that don't go pro think it's our fault. Because so I can understand that being part of the pitch. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three row all electric SUV, the Kia EV9 with available all wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one moment and available lounge sheets that unwind you the next. Visit Kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Let's talk fields in Ohio State because it does, as we mentioned before, feel like their conference. I, every week I watch him, I'm, I just keep telling myself, like, whatever the gap is, whoever ends up with him after Trevor Lawrence in the draft shouldn't feel like they missed out 
as much. I, I don't know. That sounds crazy. As great as Trevor's been, I've, I've asked some other people about this, but but how do you see Fields in relation to his improvement? How he just throws the football, and that you know maybe this gap between he and Lawrence isn't as big as I certainly thought it was last year. He's got a lot of good things going for him. I mean, naturally, he, he's got as strong of an arm. I think that's that's, that's fair to say. It's as, so as quick, Trevor Brady. Lawrence. It's crazy how quick it's out. So go ahead. Um, and, and then I think the other thing is, you know, so fundamentally he's good. He's got the strong arm you're looking for. Um, there's a, there's a few little things that I think I would, I would look for out of him, right? Like I would want to see his timing a little bit better, a little better anticipation. Um, you know, not to compare to Lawrence, like cause he's been out the past couple of weeks, but like DJ, Uyunglele, he did some things in his first game versus BC. I was like, wow. Like you don't see kids now getting gun catch the shotgun stab, one, two, three, off the plant throw. He was putting balls. Now, granted, they weren't most accurate, but he's a freshman, and he's, he's you know gotten thrown in there as the backup. And he was throwing balls before these guys are out of their cuts. I'm like, there's going to be NFL scouts watching this kid going, he's already there. He's already got that portion of the game down. And that's one of the hardest things, to confidently throw football before a guy's where he needs to be or he's going to be where you think he's going to be. I mean, it is one of the most – uh, exhilarating things in life. Like I, I, I can't explain to people. That's one of the joys of playing quarterback is when you can throw the football to a spot where no one's at, but you're like every, all the other hundred thousand people are like watching it, but you know, he's going to be there at the proper time. It's going to be in the proper place. It's a talent. I mean, it really is. Um, that is something that Trevor already has. Uh, even though I'm using DJ as the example, Trevor already has that. Justin could use a little bit more of that. There's times in games you see him still a little bit late. Um, they're, they're equally very good athletes. Um, I don't even know if there's a winner in that capacity. And I would say the, the other thing is, if you go back to like that second Wisconsin game last year in the Big Ten Championship game, Jim Leonard sort of confused him a little bit with the disguise of coverage and the different you know pressures and packages. And he really struggled in getting to, to two and three in his progression. And that's the thing about the NFL is, You've got to be able to diagnose very fast what the defense is doing, whether or not you can get to one, two, three, and then down to that back. You know, there's five eligible guys. Usually you're not getting through all five. And that's the only thing I think he just lacks. And that comes with experience. You know, the only way to improve at getting better at playing quarterback and playing football is playing football. Uh, you can walk through all you want, do virtual reality, whatever you want. It's not going to change it. So he's the second best in this upcoming draft class. And then that kid out of North Dakota, North Dakota State, Trey Lance, is, I think is number three. Yeah, and he's probably still going to go really high despite the one game because of how high everybody was on him before. And I don't think the one game, which wasn't great by his standards, is going to is going to be that big. Of a slow, deal. slow start. He, he got yeah. into it though in the second half. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Big Twelve. Oklahoma looks like the best team, and maybe I'm falling victim of, of some of the things we've already talked about here again. But look, I don't like the way Oklahoma State played against K State, and K State had problems at quarterback. And really, if you watch that game, they kind of gave that one away. Um, yeah. Iowa State probably feels a little bit better than Oklahoma State at this point. But even with the two losses, Oklahoma gets Oklahoma State at their place. They finish with an easier schedule than Texas. It feels like, and again, the projections have Oklahoma as the best bet to get out of there with two losses, which would mean the Big 12 will be out of the playoff, I would imagine. But right. this Rattler thing is working, and I know no one likes him, but you see why he was recruited the way he was and where he was ranked in the arm talent. What do you make of that conference in him? Oh, by the way, I, I like him. I, I love the kid. I think the way he plays the game, he's, again, he's got a lot of those things that you're looking for. I mean, first off, his touch, his his downfield yeah. throws and accuracy. I mean, the way he whips the ball out. He's, he's also actually a pretty darn little good athlete, so he doesn't demonstrate it quite as much. And I think when you compare him to Kyler Murray, you're like, all right, everyone pales in comparison to what that looks like. 
Uh, and he's probably not, you know, Jalen Hurts, but he is more mobile than Baker Mayfield was. And he can hurt you a little bit with his legs. And we tend to forget, like, he's young. You know, he's what, a redshirt freshman? He's probably not running because he's still pretty slight frame-wise and everything. Sure. And I can imagine Lincoln sure. doesn't want him out there. I mean, Kyler was just such a different runner. And Jalen was strong. Like, Jalen used to set all sorts of weight room records and stuff. Yeah. So he's, he he's not going to be those guys. After, he was squatting after games, right? Like, I got, I'm, a, I'm as big of a meathead as anyone else. He was the Brady I, Quinn. I promise you. <laughs> I, I, I promise you, Ryan, I was not squatting after after we won a football game. I was usually going and trying to ice down my, my arm, my legs, and then, you know, maybe grab a cold beer at some point uh, for my Irish heritage. So I, it's like uh, that that was he was just unique in that way. But, no, you see some of the, the same things, though, too, watching him. I mean, he holds on to the football a little bit too long, but he's young. He'll get there. And, and it's more of his pocket presence. Like, that's the thing where. He's just got to do a better job of understanding when he really needs to leave and when he needs just to kind of, you know, slide and move, you know, like kind of like a boxer in the ring. You know, I think people who first get into boxing, when, when they go to kind of, you know, move their head, you know, head bobbing and then try to, you know, duck punches, they move more than they need to. And they really waste energy doing that. It's kind of the same thing for a quarterback in the pocket. You know, you really want to try to be able to just slide subtly, stay in a good position to kind of throw that overhand right, which is similar to throwing a football. And that's something that I think he could improve on a little bit, but They'll be playing the Big uh, Big Twelve Championship game, and they're going to be playing against Texas. That's right. You're going to see Red River again in the Big Twelve Championship game, even with the way Texas' schedule finishes up. Texas will win out. Oklahoma wins out. We're going to see a rematch of Red River, and we should be excited about that because that was an unbelievable game. It was a great game. I I just Oklahoma winning out seems far more likely than Texas winning out. But maybe you see because I I swear, even though Ellinger and we respect the hell out of him. I'm scared to think of what Texas would be without that kid the last couple of years. But there's also some games I throw on. We're like, okay, wait, he's five of 16 right now. Like, oh, 109 yards on the ground. Like what's going on? I mean, he's, he's probably the only reason they're this competitive, but I don't know, man, I've just watched too many Texas games where I, I assuming that they're going to beat those other two good teams is a lot. I think at this point, I, I don't mean to say this to like downplay the players that are on that roster, but like, when's the last time they had like a, absolutely dynamic playmaker. I mean, I, maybe you could throw Devin Duvernay in that Duvernay, conversation, but... in a weird way, looks more dynamic now. <laughs> You're right, like, first name, of name, all. Right. Name, name the best last Texas wide receiver. Roy Williams? I mean, seriously, like, it's it's hard to answer that question. That track um, guy, was it Malcolm? I mean, he ended up not really doing... He looked the part. I mean, every Texas yeah. kid who's 6'4", 215, and receiver I mean, looks awesome. Colin Johnson looked the part. I mean, he never really came like the what Calvin Johnson comparison we thought. Shipley. So I, I yeah, Shipley. Uh, all the Shipleys. Um, <laughs> pick a Shipley. I, yeah, pick one. Uh, I th- I think if you if you look at that, that's been a kind of part of it too. Is like they've they've gone to more of a spread. And if you're going to do that, all right, then you've got to have the guys to be able to win a Big Twelve championship, win a national championship with. And I just you know the, when they when they won it with Vince Young, it's like yeah, it's a good players, but we forget how good Vince Young was. And he was a dual threat quarterback. Like he carried nah, them he was time filthy. Yeah. A, along with their rushing attack and defense. I'm, I'm pulling him up now because I think he had two touchdowns. It's Malcolm Williams, who was six, four. He actually, of course he got drafted by the Patriots. It didn't work out, but he was, he actually didn't have great stats, but I remember, I think the 2008 game, I don't know if I've lost your interest here at this point. So I apologize, Brady. But I think he had two touchdowns in Lubbock in that Tech game. Uh, he did. He did. So he had two touchdowns. <laughs> oh, my God. He had four for 182, I think, as a freshman. 
and we were on the sidelines for that game. You're like, this guy's going to be the next great one. This guy, I mean, he looked amazing. Those white uniforms too. And you're just like, okay, doesn't. And then what happened? Up. He just went in the seventh round. But, but that's what I'm saying is like they they've got talent there. It's like kids. Like I'm not Ken even saying Stearns he was, is, but right. But but you know, like Caden Stearns went there, and 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 you know, he was one of the top recruits of their defense back as a yeah. safety. And he's like never really taken those big strides where like he should be like a Minka Fitzpatrick type player that we're talking about. But that's just not how it's worked out for uh, for Texas's defense. And then for a lot of the recruits, there has not been the development. Stern now. So you're talking the safe. Yeah, I, I'll admit there's times when I watch him, though, where I go, whoa, like he he will he will put it on you if he gets a chance. No, he flashes. He's a yeah. hard hitter, but he right. it, to me should be consistently doing that. But the whole defense should be for that matter. Yeah. Okay. I have one more Pac-12, then I want a little story time for you. But I'm not going to fall into the hey, Oregon's the best team. Their schedule just doesn't. Even if Oregon's awesome with Shook, look good. You know, Stanford missed a bunch of kids, but their their schedule is so bad that their only hope of getting in, or anyone's only hope, is like we have to have two six and zero Pac-12 teams squaring off in that game for them to even have a chance. And it may be completely unfair, but I'm, I'm trying to have an open mind about the Pac-12. I don't want to be dismissive, but it just doesn't feel like they even have a chance. I, I don't feel like they do have a chance uh, for a couple of reasons. I mean, to think that they're not going to be impacted by COVID again, like the Big Ten has, or, right. or again, you know, I mean, one of those teams won't be. Even if even if they follow the rules, they're vigilant. It could be the other team they're playing, right? That's going to work against them. Uh, and I just think there's this. You've already got the equity built in right now with the ACC teams, the SEC teams. Um, you know, Big Ten got started a little bit earlier, but there's this perception that Ohio State's going to be one of the best. They, I think one of the craziest scenarios there is they don't play Maryland this week. They're supposed to play IU next week. What was if IU's like, yeah, we've got a couple of COVID cases. We can't play you guys, right? But then, like, they played them. They went out, and then and then Ohio State actually ends up being more impacted by COVID than IU. IU's got the better record in the East. They're the ones that go on to the Big Ten championship game with, with a better record because they've played one more game or something and are both undefeated. Like it'd be an interesting scenario, but you could see how that could potentially, by the way, the, the idea of the too. big 10 wouldn't have an emergency meeting being like, guess who's cleared to play. Like there's <laughs> just no, and I'm not even saying that's big 10 specific, but that is, that is some all time gamesmanship. I wonder if the Patriots could find a way to do that. Uh, oh, no, better, it's better would be one. if Ohio state doesn't go to the big 10 championship. And then like the college football playoffs, like, yeah, but they're undefeated. We think they're better than IU. So they might you know, though. Yeah, exactly. If, if no, you 100%. look at them and the, what they've done and you know, that's why I think Bama, if they're undefeated and they were to lose a close game to Florida, like I mentioned in this video, that's coming out this week, it came out already that I'm like, don't write them off. Cause I still think of Tua. If they beat Auburn and the way the number four argument worked out last year, no one believes me when I say this, but I'm just telling you, I think Bama would have been the fourth team in last year. I think they were going to put him back in if Tua were on the team um, because Tua, Tua would have at least put them in a position. They probably don't lose to Auburn, even though Mac Jones, those guys still scored over 30 points. Right. Let's go back. We know the Cleveland part of it where um, you're back and forth with Derek Anderson. There's coaching changes, all of that kind of stuff. Uh I guess we could talk about how frustrating that is. I just want to do kind of some of the rapid fire, like trying to figure out how your career is going as it's not going in the direction that you want it to go. So like yeah. Cleveland to Denver, how does that go down? Yeah. So I had a Liz Frank injury my last year in Cleveland and I, I ended up getting a call from, you know, the new general manager at that time uh, who I'd never met before, never spoken to. I uh, literally thought I was a crank call. Uh, I was, I was doing rehab for my foot. 
my now wife was with me at the moment. I had my car packed up to drive up to Cleveland that night, dogs in the back of the car, all that, uh, for off-season workouts. And they're like, hey, we're trading to Denver. And I was just like, this has to be a joke. Like, someone got my numbers, can't be real. So I end up getting a call from Josh McDaniels. He tells me it's, it's obviously true. So now I'm going to fly out to Denver, figure that part of my life out. Uh, I got out there and I probably wasn't a hundred percent, uh, in through that off season and into kind of in that training camp. Um, I didn't get my foot surgically repaired, which I actually did, uh, about what, two years ago, not quite two years ago now, finally. Um, but it, it's, it's, it was pretty tough to go through because I, I didn't feel a hundred percent moving around running and throwing and all that stuff, but I had to kind of play it off because I, I felt like it was an opportunity for me, new place, great team, great organization. And then I just never got that opportunity. Um, and that was so that Orton, was, right? And it was Orton, and then Tebow comes in, correct? So you you sort of lost out to Orton, but then the Tebow thing happens. Yeah, I got to tell you, like, I remember every week going, I can't believe they just won again. Like, he wasn't that good. And I know Tim would, you know, I've met him enough, and I really like him, but I just couldn't believe it worked. And then it became this phenomenon of, like, oh, there's just, you can't quantify what he's doing, when in reality, I just, didn't think it was all that great and you got really lucky and you had a good defense and then it sort of became exposed and other people have different theories on it. What was it like watching it from the sideline? If you could be completely honest, because I have to imagine you'd watch him at certain times and throw in the football being like, I can't believe this guy's winning. Or maybe I'm speaking for, you know, I shouldn't do that, but at least that's how I felt watching it every week when they kept winning all the time. Well, the, the thing was, is like, you're right. Like we had an unbelievable defense and we had a great rushing attack. Willis McGahee was like an unsung hero that year. Because now we're talking about 2011. So this is like, because Tim got drafted the year I got traded there. Um, and so we were there together for a year. Josh gets fired. There's a whole Spygate 2 thing that happens. And you never played then, because you were, no. I mean, you just didn't even play in a game that year, right? Well, no, Orton, Orton was the quarterback the entire time until yeah. Josh gets fired. He starts the next week. They wanted to start working in Tim Tebow intermittently, which I was at this point like, all right, I'm over this. Like, release me, let me out of here after the season. My first talk with John Elway was like, Hey, how you doing? Pleasure to meet you. You're a legend. I need to get released. Like I got to get out of here. Like I got to get an opportunity. Somewhere. How did he take that? He was like, oh, I, I just got here. Like, I don't Everyone really likes you around here. I mean, we'd like to keep you. Well, we're not sure about all this. So, you know, he, he, he was like, yeah, I don't know how to take this conversation. Right. Cause I'm the type of person where like, I, I'm, I'm like pretty kind of, you know, pretty even keel. And so like, yeah, you know, Hey man, I love you. You're great. I'm such a legend, but I need you to come. You need to release me. You know, like, what do I need to say to you to get released right in this moment? Like, I'm not, I'm not kidding either. I'm being serious. Even though I'm smiling, I'm just thinking about the joy of me having an opportunity to actually start and play somewhere else. Um, no, but in, in all seriousness, it was like, uh, just kind of like, it was an awkward conversation. Cause then after that, I'd see him and I'm kind of like, dude, you know, I'm not happy about my situation. Like you can feel free to make a roster spot anytime you want. Let me go try to compete somewhere else. But To go back to the experience, I mean, Tim, to his credit, was so much better in games than how he was in practice. So that was one of the craziest things. Like, everyone was in awe of, like, how the games would work out. I was more just like, wow, like, he's playing so much better than what he looked like in practice. And so, I mean, I remember vividly times when, like, no Sean Moreno, he threw a pass to no Sean. I don't know if it was, like, way off or just into the ground and skipped to him or something, but... He literally picked the football up and like punted it. And I think it went like into the road because there's like back in the old facility, there's like a, a road that's somewhat nearby, like where the end of the end zone is in this wall. And I was like, wow. I was like, this, this isn't voting well. But then we get in the game and he, he would play better than what he practiced with. And our defense would play lights out. 
and we'd run the crap out of the football. He'd be a part of that. So that's the thing is he, he was a great competitor. Like, I think if anything that year taught me that, you know, you, you, it doesn't have to go how the play is drawn up. In fact, like whatever's drawn up on paper is kind of irrelevant. It's just how you go out there and like, whether or not you make a play. Um, now that's not something that I could do. <laughs> like I wasn't that type of player. I, I needed to be in a system and be able to like operate and have control over certain things and changing things. But, um, yeah, so that I never played there. I ended up becoming a free agent, could have signed back, uh, and been Peyton's backup. And that's probably one of the biggest things I regret. Just, you know, a not having the experience of learning from him and seeing how he prepares and all that, you know, who knows, like playing there another year or two, if it would have extended my career, even just as, as a backup. But I, I was, I'm the, I'm the type of person, like the masters are going on right now. Right. I would, I don't, if someone invited me to Augusta to go watch the masters, I would politely say, no, thank you. I'd rather be on a crappy golf course playing golf than going watching someone else do. I'm just that type of person. And it was, I got to a point like that in my career was like that, where I was like, I'd rather go take a chance where I feel like I have a better chance of playing, even if it's not a great situation, just so I can play. Cause I can at least feel better about the fact that I'm out there playing and not standing watching. You know what I'm saying? And so I totally get what you're saying. Anymore. I mean, like if I were to share a moment with you, you, you know, sometimes I get sick of like, I, all I do is talk to guys that are way better at the things that I talk about. <laughs> you know, if you really break down what my role is, I've, I've spent my life talking to guys that are awesome at the thing that I'm obsessed with and I'm just not good at. And for you as a young guy too, and it's really hard, your first round pick, you have these incredible records at Notre Dame. You, you were an awesome quarterback there. You're not in the mindset of like, oh, you know what? If I just stick around and know I'm not going to play for multiple years, that'll actually set me up better in the future. And especially but, as a competitor, that makes all the sense in the world, Brady, is what I'm telling you. So it, right. it for you to go to Kansas City and then beat somebody out and be like, all right, I'm going to get some starts. Like you're still seeing it as all of you should have. You still should have been seeing as I got screwed over in Cleveland. I go to Denver and then this Tebow phenomenon happens. Like I'm still capable of starting and playing this league in a long time. And anybody, I think a lot of you guys are all wired the same and would have done the exact same thing. I'm not going to sit here and concede that I'm already a backup and not even 30 years old. Like I'm not doing that. Right. And you know, so then I, then I have an opportunity to go to Kansas city. Um, head coach I was familiar with at the time and Romeo Cornell, Brian Dable, the system, uh, I, I get there and, and obviously Matt Cass is our starter and, you know, but, but I, but I, I kind of knew the situation. I knew, Hey, look, there might be a chance where I, I could get a shot to play at some point here. The problem is, is it wasn't until like week seven or eight. Uh, we'd only won one game at that point in time, um, which obviously isn't a great scenario to, you know, jump into, but you know, for me, it was like, all right, I still had a chance to play. And, and that was really what it was more about at that point in time. And now the season didn't go well. We had an awful season. We had stuff that happened off the field. Uh, I had a couple of concussions. I had one in uh, preseason and then one, uh, once I did get the chance, I get a concussion knocked out for the next few weeks. So it was just a battle of like trying to just finish and not be on IR like I was in 08, 09 in Cleveland. And, and so then after that year, I had the opportunity to go to Seattle. And that was honestly one of the best things for my life about football, because as much as I hated Pete Carroll from our time in USC, you know, the way, the way I won that kind of quarterback battle, um, you know, that was one where there's multiple guys going for it. Liner was one. They ended up choosing me for that. And it, it kind of just opened my eyes to my love for football again, given how tough uh, everything that 2012 was with the football, but really the Javon Belcher situation, everything else that came from that. Um, he made football fun again. He really did. And, and he I had a ton of respect for 
the environment he created, the culture he had there, all those guys. I mean, Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman and Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, like the guys are even still there now. You know, they really had a great team. And, and I got there. I remember like in practice, I was like, holy crap. I, I've never played on a Super Bowl team. We'd been to the playoffs one time ago. I was like, this team feels like that. And they went on to win it that year. Now, I, I wasn't a part of it. They released me last cuts. I got picked up right away by the Jets. It's kind of like a, a stopgap. That was the Sanchez hurt shoulder. They drafted Geno Smith. And, and I remember getting there thinking like, wow, this between Isaac and, and Rex Ryan, like you could feel the disconnect. They were just on, on two different pages. Um, and I was only there half the year trying to prepare Gino the best I could. I, at that point, I kind of knew that was my role. Um, and, and so at the halfway point, they told him I was going to get released. I was like, all right, I get released. And just so happens, Sam Bradford tears his ACL. I get a call right away. And I'm, I'm next thing I know I'm in St. Louis and I'm getting ready to, you know, try to potentially go be the guy there. Uh, Kellen Clements takes over first game. I think he loses that first start. And so the next week, so I'm, I'm getting reps at practice that Wednesday, feeling great, feeling good. Going to the weight room, I literally warming up back squatting, had it done in a year. I don't know why I even did. And I herniated two discs in my back. And I was just like, How much was on? Uh, it was like 185. And, and then, by the way, like, not, I'm not, I'm, it's, it was just nothing, right? That's like warm up weight. And I, honestly, like, what I regret was probably like moving too fast because it felt so light. It felt so good. And I remember like trying to go to the chiropractor that night, waking up the next day, I had no feeling in my right leg. Um, it like wouldn't come back. And so I panicked and I called their medical staff and they were great. And they just, you know, rushed me to get an MRI and they're like, all right, let's try some epidurals. And I went through about a month of trying to get it to go away. And like, I couldn't get any movement back. I dropped with all these issues and eventually got surgery. And then that was kind of it. Like I signed with the dolphins in training camp that following uh, fall in 2014, but it was a camp arm situation. And, and I realized too, being there, I was like, I'll never feel the same moving around, running, pushing off my back leg and all that. And uh, that's when it kind of broadcasting came into my life. And I was like, all right, maybe I should start giving this a uh, serious look. How tough was that veteran combine to look around and go, I'm still trying in 2015? I think the tough part about it was the night before. Because when you're out there like throwing and working out stuff, you're playing football, you're having fun. You're like catching up with guys that you kind of know or have been around. It was the night before where like we got to talk and obviously there's like sponsors for this stuff. And I can't remember like where they were from or what it was for. I don't think it was like for like Fidelity or something, but it was like one of these sponsors were talking. And I was just like, I think I want to leave. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I want to do this. Because it was just so like, it was more of like the talk that you should be giving like, for example, you talked about the college programs where, like, you asked the strength coach, how many guys think they're going to the NFL? And they're like, oh, probably all of them, right? But, like, actually only three will end up wearing jerseys of these hundred guys. It was very similar to that. It was like being there for, like, an experiment. And so I knew a bunch of people of the NFL, and I knew a bunch of the scouts. People were already there. And I'm like, why am I here? Because, like, they know who I am. They know what I'm capable of. If they need me, they give me a call. But, like, this isn't going to help me in any way. It was more for like helping the NFL, if anything, with like having a name or somebody who's a name be there. And, uh, and I just remember the night before, like the talk this guy gave and he made it like such dire circumstances, all this stuff. And I was just like, I mean, I, I feel bad for some of these guys because like, I, I at least played like, that, like at this point, like I had played for seven years. Like some of these guys hadn't got any playing time like at all. And they were like a year or two into this journey or quest. And this guy's just a shitty on their dreams. Like, I'm like, well, <laughs> Like this whole thing is like set up to give these kids a chance. And it's just like, I don't know. It was, it was one of the craziest things ever. And then I remember I got like drug tests and I was thinking to myself, 
Um, I remember I had a long talk with like, I think it's Dr. Lombardi, uh, Lombardi and, or Lombardo. And he was like, yeah, we got to worry about you guys, you older guys. Uh, cause you guys are the ones that typically try to take and all this stuff. I'm like, I was just looking around. I was like, maybe that was the other indication. Like I'm to an age now where they're testing me for HGH and other, you know, performance enhancers because of my age. Like no one else is, has to worry about that because they're all young. Maybe that's the other reason I shouldn't be here right now. Those are some great stories, man. Uh, it was it was always it was so much fun to watch you at ND, and it's been a lot of fun to watch you as well. Um, big noon kickoff starts at ten Eastern on Fox. They go for two hours. We've had Liner on, and we know all those guys. And it's really my favorite college football pregame show. It's terrific, man. So thanks so much for your time, man. All right, brother. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Royal Caribbean. What are you going to do for your next vacation? Beach, island hopping, hiking, a little culture? Choose Royal Caribbean and you can go on all the vacations at once. That's the point. You want to go to Greece? How about they get you there? Everywhere else. I've looked at the Alaska packages. Alaska Inside Package, Alaska Experience Cruise, Vancouver Round Trip, One Way Out of Seattle. They have it all. They make it easier for you with adventure at every stop. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Visit royalcaribbean.com to learn more. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, let's have some fun with it here on Friday, getting ready for the weekend. Although, I gotta admit, uh, I think everybody enjoys this segment, but if your weekend is dictated by this segment, then I don't know. Maybe right now that makes some sense. How are your weekends right now, Kyle? How are things? A lot of the same. A lot of new video games just came out, so it's it's gonna be uh it's gonna be it's gonna be wild over here. Valhalla? Yeah, you know it. Are you how is that? I gotta tell you, I have not played any video games since I moved. I really enjoyed it. It was a it was a real like end of the day kind of a come down thing for me where I'd be like, all right, you know what? I'm gonna relax, detach here. And then as a writer, I just went, hey, no more video games. Spare time needs to be on improvement. I know a lot of people that are like that. And I think they're probably right. But I also sort of feel bad a little bit. It's just so cool. Plus, I just finished Vikings. I was late start on Vikings, the show, and just finished it like on the heels of this Vikings Valhalla thing coming out. So I'm like a pagan shit. So I'm good. How do you think you would have done as a Viking? Nah, not well. I Really? I think about it all the time. My dad and I have conversations about this. I think I'd like to be the the seer guy who may or may not be doing drugs what does that mean the seer, like the guy who's show. in the who's in the hut and it's like basically just like oh the gods said like that. a brant from game of thrones the one-eyed raven yeah sort of but i think they were more common than brants i think the, i think probably every little little clan had one but that guy seemed like get a sweet gig there aren't a ton of seers now you no. don't you don't hear about guys being like oh this is dave they this have is seer. toll-free numbers yeah, he's got a place down in Redondo. We're gonna maybe have some <laughs> have some beers at his place. He's he's also a seer, so um, he doesn't have cable. Yeah, I, there's. So you think you do bad as a? I think a lot of guys like to think they would do well as a Viking. I think if you went straight time machine to Viking times, like the nostalgic part of like, hey, where's my axe and cool bearskin vest? Um, they'd be like, yeah, but everybody smells terrible. And, you know, if you get in an argument over a, an ear of corn, I can just chop your arm off, you know? So you yes. would, 
you know, man sharpening man, iron sharpening iron, as we like to say on this podcast quite a bit, certainly <laughs> would would sharpen you up. I don't know what I was doing the other day. I think it was. Oh, I know what it was. I was watching some Sopranos episodes again because I started uh, reading this book about it. And <laughs> Tony has that scene where he, he builds it kind of like man cave, but it's outside. It's like that that side thing. And it's it's before the uh, the separation takes place. So it's like season four. And he starts cranking these bagpipes because he has this new surround sound. Back in the day when you had surround sound where you were so fired up for your components, you'd wire it you'd screw in a couple rear speakers. You'd have front speakers. You'd put in a subwoofer that was way too big for your apartment, which I did. I was like king of that. Like, yeah, what's wrong with a 16-inch subwoofer in, in a one-bedroom? Um, and people would just be like, dude, you suck. But he had this bagpipes thing going on. So I just was super into the bagpipes for a day, maybe a day. I worked out to bagpipes. I can't even imagine what the neighbors thought walking by the place. Like, what the hell's going on in there? Just a dude in there screaming, lightweight, and bagpipes going. So whenever I think of that stuff and, and just walking out into a, a dew-covered field in the English, Scottish countryside, whatever. I mean, Braveheart, we've all seen the movie. And then you like, imagine the adrenaline rush, especially if you were a guy that just had like a stick. You know, you were a poor Viking or now I'm just combining all sorts of eras, which I understand <laughs> historically here, but just like, hey, what are we going to do? Oh, we're going to go invade this clan. All right. Well, you know, Eric von Erickson is going to play drums and then, you know, Leaf over here is going to have a stick. And then luckily Thor has a has an axe. So let's stand behind Thor. I just that level of like, what's more at stake than just okay, we're going to walk across this field and fight these other guys because we're ex we're mad about the wheat exchange from last wheat season. I think about it probably too much. <laughs> you should watch Vikings. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know I should. I mean, their hairstyles, I don't think it was that fancy back then. But I just, time machine, none of us would have any, of, any chance whatsoever. But if you were brought up in that era, then there's something to be said of, of, of how... I don't know. Maybe none of us should ever wonder how we would do because we would all do horribly. <laughs> You'd just be mad. Be like, this pillow sucks. I'd actually, I wonder, like, what are the things that I could say? It's like, I can't be like, look at the cell phone. I'd be like, what are the things that I know you don't know that I know because we've been around for thousands of more years? I don't think the list is that long. Like, what things I could just teach? They wouldn't want to, yeah, they wouldn't want to hear about your pillow thing. Exactly. Um, you know, the wheel is around, irrigation's around, they're boating acumen off the charts i know like when you like start I, my, looking, my list is of, of helpful things is it's very short if if even one thing long cpr maybe heimlich i could do <laughs> heimlich yeah that would be good Save because i'm sure there was a lot of there's probably a lot of pork being digested that just you know hey vikings don't look like they do the chew rules the right way that's right um mead what if you started saying like no no that's called a hangover leaf yeah, <laughs> here's what you need Here's what that's, you need. Get you some that's eggs. That's what it is. <laughs> get, you, get you some eggs and some bacon, and we're going to put some cheese over that and put it in, uh, let's grab some wheat. Makes Maybe you could come up with the first sandwich. I'm sure sandwiches around before then. Who am I kidding? Maybe a wrap, you know? Yeah, but crazy. I don't know the, something crazy like a wrap. Yeah. I don't know what the tortilla situation would be. I don't even know if Vikings would like Vikings probably eat anything. I can't imagine they're super fussy eaters. Okay, so that was the Viking segment on today's show. <laughs> 
let's uh, let's get back to life advice. Lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. I love this email. A couple of weeks ago, Ryan, I was befriended by a guy that I, that I asked for a spot at the gym. All right, so you asked him for the spot. He got my number and everything. Wow, that seems strange, but I thought, well, maybe he just wants to get in a lift sometime. A few days pass, and I get a call from him asking if I could join a Zoom call with him sometime to talk about some things. I'm a nice dude, so I just went along with it and said, sure. Turns out he was starting to recruit me to what is most likely a pyramid scheme. Have you ever ran into a pyramid scheme guy at the gym? And how would you handle a situation like this when you probably would see him regularly at the gym moving forward? Um, thanks for everything. Okay. Uh, yes. I mean, clearly, when a guy is that forward um he might just be the friendliest guy but think about this like the guys listening to this podcast now and it's it's kind of weird like if you consider yourself or you're you kind of know you've been a cooler guy throughout your entire life you have a cool set of friends you do cool stuff (laughs) people like you you know you don't feel like you're ghosted from your friends and i know this is kind of difficult but let's just be real here some of you have socially aren't as cool as other guys it just that's it. That's the way it works out. I've hung out with plenty of circles where I've looked around and gone, you're the least cool guy here. Just rein it in, you know, hang, hang in the background for a bit. And then I could be at another thing where I'm like, okay, I'm clearly the center of attention to this because none of these guys have had as cool of a life as I've had. So, you know, adapt, figure out your roles. Sometimes you take shots, sometimes you don't. So somebody who's really cool would never give you a spot and immediately say, Hey, give me your number. (laughs) So that that seems i mean unless you're the coolest guy of all time and you're giving off that vibe that this guy's like i'm just gonna hit on this dude because i want him to be in my friend group and hit on you in a a friend way so chances are really really eager contact guy something's going on and so here you go zoom call ridiculous and you're being recruited for this pyramid scheme how would i handle it i would tell you at an early age, but even more so as I get older, I enjoy conflict and I enjoy basically telling people, yeah, I don't want to do that. Like <laughs> that sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's a terrible idea. But what I actually, what happened where somebody, there's a story I forget. Oh, I know what it was. It was, uh, <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. I'll just share it. There was a reporter that I think she thought, I was, uh, I was into her. I'm not sure. I wasn't. I was friendly, uh, professional, and that kind of thing. But I think she thought I was like a total mark. And I was back in Connecticut. And my Fridays really sucked because, you know, I didn't really have any friends. A bunch of my friends have been let go. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have much going on. And as far as the dating thing, I was almost exclusively doing long distance stuff. And so my Fridays, I sometimes would work out later. So I'd be at the gym at close that when I came home to eat, then the night would almost already be over, even though I was such a night owl back then, back in the East coast, cause I stayed up so late. So I would want the gym to be later than my normal routine, where as soon as the show was done, I was all pumped up and like, you guys can make fun of me about the gym thing. I needed that. I needed that escape for the hour. I should be in better shape probably for somebody that works out and takes you know it seriously. But I needed that time because basically every waking moment I had for 10 plus years, at least doing a, a daily radio show, all I thought about was the show. The minute I woke up to the minute I went to bed, all I thought about was the show. And I needed that time at the gym. And trust me, this will go back to the email here in a second. And so randomly, like one Friday, like a spring afternoon, I got right home. I was like, you know what? I'm actually going to work out earlier. Maybe I can do something later tonight. And I get a call from this reporter and she's like, Hey, you I'm like, Hey, what's up? 
She's like, what are you doing right now? I have a crazy idea. I'm like, uh, okay. She's like, what do you think about going down to New York City to pick up my dog? I was like, oh my God, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> she was like, what? I go, oh my God, yeah. I was like, I'm definitely not doing that. Are you kidding me? That's like two and a half hours at this time of day, Friday to New York City, and then drive back to get your dog because you're busy? Yeah, I'm not doing that. And she was like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm not even that big of a dog guy, honestly. And then she kind of was like scaling back going, well, you know, I was going to give you some gas money. I was like, oh yeah, no, I have tons of money. I'm fine. I don't, <laughs> I don't need your gas money. Yeah. I'm going to the gym. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. See ya. And it was awesome because it was such a ridiculous request that I was going to get in the car and drive five hours to pick up somebody else's dog because they were busy. I mean, who would, who would ask? I might break up if I had been dating somebody that would ask me to do that. Be like, you know what? I'm not really, I don't really see a future here. And that's such an inconvenient five hours. Like, you know what? Why don't we just, why don't we just nip this in the bud now? So that's how I would handle that. Uh, and yeah, you're going to see him regularly. Don't, we all need to do a better job. He's the one that asked you for your number. He's the one that recruited you for a pyramid scheme. Yeah, he may drive a Corvette, whatever, but you shouldn't feel awkward around him by telling him, hey, fuck off. He should feel awkward about you that he used an opportunity for a spot to try to pitch you into buying into his pyramid scheme. So don't, don't have the guilt. Like we assign guilt in the wrong places all the time. And for you, the guy who just wanted to go get a lift in, thought he maybe hit it off with some guy and is going to have a new male buddy. You know, sometimes we need that. That'd be great. I've, I've got a couple of buddies from the gym, but it took some time. There were multiple spots. There were no pyramid schemes. And so that should be on him. Don't feel awkward. He should feel awkward. Fuck him. I actually have a pyramid scheme story, too. Have you ever been in a pyramid scheme, Kyle? No, like Cutco and stuff doesn't count, right? Because that that hit that hit Poughkeepsie pretty hard. Give Everybody me that. Sell it. Give no, me that breakdown. No, just I I saw it coming a mile away, but everyone's like, no, dude, the 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 knives are like these are solid knives. I'm telling you. And I just <laughs> I was like, I don't think I'm gonna buy any knives to then sell knives. So I just I just didn't. But I know there was a there was a uh, Cutco was running rampant around Poughkeepsie. So wait a minute, Cutco is a uh knife company i don't even know if and it's a pyramid scheme but i think you just you know you just buy a bunch of knives and then you sell them at a profit i think i think is the it way sounds it like tupperware because i remember being a little kid bored housewives would do tupperware parties right and so tupperware would send you i think the stuff and then you would have tupperware parties and get people to sign up but then the other person would have the tupperware party you know i think amway is this way but the pyramid scheme for me in college, you know, right on campus and I'm a pledge. So I'm at a massive disadvantage anyway. And I showed up to the house to probably do some errand or clean. And, uh, these older guys, I don't know, they were like on a bender or something. I don't know what happened. I think it was like an all night party and these dudes and so many of the older guys, actually some of the guys that I just rolled with in school had so much money. So it sucked being broke all the time. But, uh, they were like, Oh no, no pyramid. They were doing a, no one had advertised it as a pyramid scheme. They're like, Oh, it's a money pyramid. And it took over campus for like days. It was crazy. So I was like, well, how's this work? And then an older brother was like, no, I'll bring you the ATM right now. It's, it's a hundred bucks to me. And then once the slots below me are full, you have your own slot. And then the eight slots that are being recruited for you pay you. And it's, you know, it's all you have to do is draw out a line and then two and then four and then eight and then put arrows to who's going to have to pay it out. 
And there's your money pyramid. Because you know what? Eventually it stops and then a bunch of people in the middle get screwed over if the people at the top even get paid. People at the top at that one actually were getting paid. So that was the allure of everybody else doing it. I didn't know any better. And the killer line is, well, if you don't get your eight slots full, then you get your money back, which is definitely not true. That's not how money pyramids work. It means that it spreads out. Some people get paid early on and then most everybody doesn't. And it sucks because then it puts you in a position where you're calling other people to invest in your money pyramid. I'm on the phone with buddies at St. Mike's being like, hey, are you guys aware of this 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 um this this money pyramid thing, man? Like it's it's like one guy made 2400 bucks, you know? And I wasn't doing it to be devious. I was doing it because I didn't know. I didn't know. And I'm like, yeah, you, I guess you get your money back if it doesn't work out. So, you know, it just keeps going and going and going. And guys are just on the phones, working the phones like crazy. And again, some people made money. And then, of course, the guy at the top of mine was like, hey, have you called St. Mike's yet? And then, you know, after after a day and a half, you're like, oh, OK, yeah, this is after you're trying to call and fill your slot, uh, you realize, no, this this is not going to work. And I'm glad I'm glad I learned that lesson for 100 bucks very early on. I could see you. Should we start a money pyramid, though? Like if you and I get into it early and just can I be at the top? Or like, or like yeah, one me, of the lieutenants. Yeah, just I just got to convince two people, and then I'm good. Yeah, let me Venmo you a few hundred, then I'll call Bill House and Kevin, Kevin Clark. Clark. Oh, shit. Yeah, see, that's your guy. Damn it, I take I'll take O'Connor. Yeah, but you don't have to do anything if you're the start of it all. You just sit back. So oh, that's you know. true. Yeah, I feel like O'Connor would be a good one. He just doesn't want to disappoint anyone. O'Connor would definitely pay the hundred bucks. Yeah. he'd be like, "Well, Ryan, you know, I don't." I don't love this, but I really respect your work. Kev, my cousin so. really wants to get in it. He just doesn't have a hundred bucks. Do you think you could sponsor him? <laughs> so if you're really young and you hear about a money pyramid coming around, say, hey, how many days has this been going? And then how many payouts have there been? Or just say no. Say no. Just no, say no. Better say because no. you know what you don't want to be doing is you don't want to be sitting there trying to pitch your other friends on this. Okay. We've done a lot of story time here. We went a little longer with Brace. We're just going to do that one life advice. And a big tease, though. Big tease. Make sure you subscribe. Get everybody to subscribe, rate and review. Need to keep doing that stuff. So thank you for doing so. Van Pelt joins us post-Masters on Monday. And I think Vilma as well, talking football. Because we've got to be talking football on a Monday, no question. But Van Pelt and I were chatting the other day. He's down there at Butler Cabin. Just, you know, the old Pappy Van Winkle, little short glass of it in his right hand. And he's he's high-fiving well, he's probably not high five, and I think there's a lot. I actually, I'm making all of this up, except that Van Pelt, that part was true. He will join us. We'll talk Masters. We'll talk a bunch of other dumb shit as well, because he's the man, and it's always great to have him on. So we'll talk to you Monday. Have a great weekend. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. 
I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 